Welcome to Transformative Talk. Each episode is hosted by a different graduate student in Dr. Haddad's courses at the University of Texas in San Antonio. Join us today as we explore how educators can use critical social theories to transform themselves and their classrooms. Educators can get real and share real-life experiences, near misses, and big little wins. Hi everybody, this is Lily Lewis and my name is Anne, your host for this episode of Transformative Talk. Um, in this episode, we're going to talk about Pierre Bordeaux, some of the concepts he developed, and our take on all of it. Cool. So, Anne, let's start. <laughs> so, I actually want to start off by um, asking what you thought about the readings, because um, I know I found them kind of difficult, but I, I want to know what you what you thought of the reading. Okay, so with the reading about the um, peer bordered theory, I I really is interested in his theory about the the connection between um, habitus, capital, and field, because I feel that if teachers can connect um the student the, the student students experience in their life with the lesson in class it can make it a catalyst for them to interest interested them into the lessons so i feel i really excited uh to take the knowledge from his theory how about you yeah no i i actually also found that really interesting um just because like um, in my experiences growing up in K through 12, um, I always felt like there was some sort of disconnect between the teacher and I when it came to like connecting my experiences as, as a student to whatever I was learning in the classroom. And I, I, I always kind of felt that and I didn't know if there was ever a word to, to put to, to that feeling. But when I went off to college, um, I found that there was a lot of words to put to a lot of the feelings that I was going through in in school and stuff. So now um, in Dr. Haddad's class and now reading Levinson and learning about Bordeaux, um, I now know that like funds of knowledge um, is the word that, that, that I was looking for to connect what I was feeling in that classroom at that time. So yeah, no, I, I definitely also found that really interesting. Um, and, it, and it also really excited me because it not only um, finally helped me put that word, but it also helped validate my experiences growing up. Um, what about parts that you struggled with the, with the reading? Um, I know there was a lot of like theory involved and a lot of concepts and definitions going on, but um, what kinds of parts did you struggle with? Yeah, I um, totally have a lot of struggle with reading. And, but a chapter about nearly three times to understand the new terms of him like the cultural capital what what does this mean agency the meaning of agency is it totally different from the uh, dictionary and I also figure out the terms about the structural structural domination yeah how about you which part do you seem like very difficult with um, so for me, um, a lot of the more difficult parts were also like you, um, figuring out um, what these definitions mean and how they relate to the theory. 
or the theories that that were going on in the reading. Um, so what I did to help help myself kind of understand those words is um, I got a paper out and I wrote the words as they appeared in the reading. So um, for example, I wrote structure and agency. I know those were two different definitions that came up, um, but I wrote structure and then I wrote the definition, which is a shifting dy dynamic set of social forces and arrangements anchored in institutional practice and memory. And then I wrote the definition for agency, which was uh, the inherent creativity of the human being given expression through the subjective subjectivities that both fashion and are fashioned by the structures they encounter. <sighs> that's a word, that's a mouthful of yeah. words. Um, but it, uh, it really helped me in the sense that I'm, I'm a, I was able to kind of draw actual lines to connect the definitions to each other and see how they work between each other. Um, so that, that, that really helped me um, understand the readings. Yes, you're right. I also write out what the new terms in the theory also as well. Like the cultural capital, it means like funds of knowledge, which is inspired from cultural capital. And I also figure it out some like structure, not the meaning like structure in Rama that, but it's actually the meaning what he did mention is that was about the historically produced rules and resources. That's, I think that's a good idea if we um, write down the new terms of him and figure it out. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So now that I know we were both on the kind of same on kind of the same page. Um, yeah. Let's set the stage for our listeners. Um, they're probably wondering what we're talking about, who Bordeaux is, and what he believed in in education, right? So I know we mentioned a little bit about his theories and stuff, but um, uh, let's talk about who Bordeaux is. Um, so Bordeaux was a French scholar and philosopher who was born in southwestern France in 1930s. Um, he came from a working class background, um, but he eventually um, worked his way up the quote, French intellectual ladder, um, close quotes. <laughs> um, he had a military conscription in France where he served um, in the Algerian War of the late 1950s. And actually, from, from his service, he started, he started um, talking about, or rather exploring different ideas in, um, oh man, uh, he, he started um, exploring different um, ideas in sociology, and he even he even um, did some some experiments like sociological experiments um, during his time in the military. Um, for example, he um, one of his most famous experiments was um, he studied Algerian peasant consciousness and social structure that had resulted mm -hmm. from French modernization reforms. Um, so that that was really cool. I, I thought, um, and then. After that, he, he really turned his life into looking at education and how some of the things he uh, uh, studied in sociology and how they related to education because um, education was the best 
kind of field that that showed these different concepts that he learned about. Um, and then, yeah, and he, he wrote books and he, he one of his famous, or his first book uh, to be published was The Inheritors, which is a well-documented critique of the class-based nature of the French university system and student culture. I would like to write a book about that, honestly. Uh, imagine writing a book about like your university system and the, the student culture that, that exists there. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. But um, that's Bordeaux's background in a nutshell. Um, on, do you want to talk about what he studied? Okay, so he thought, sorry, what? Okay. Mm, okay. So his theory is his sorry his study study about his theory study about the sociology and he figured out the relationship between habitus capital and food. Um, the relationship between those is mean like um, we can imagine about uh, how the symbolic violence of schools tend to reproduce, uh, stratify the class system. We have the social, uh, we have class system, including um, working class, middle class, and the upper class. Children enter the, the, the various levels of schooling with class-based form of the habitus and cultural capital. Through various means, school impose the pedagogic authority and symbolic violence to assure that only those with higher class standing can continue to occupy this same place in society. So it also means that it's an inequality in education as well, because it's mean like the more money we have, the more power and the more uh, social class the student will get in the future. So I think it's an inequality for students if we think that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also um, studied uh, about uh, reproducing inequality and how um, school systems tend to do that. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me in the reading was when Levinson mentioned that um, schools reproduce inequality through, he mentioned like uh, curriculum, teachers' um, attitudes towards uh, student behavior, and he also mentioned standardized testing. And when he mentioned standardized testing, I was really taken back by it because um, I, I didn't really realize how um, you can reproduce uh, inequality through standardized testing. And um, when the more I thought about it, the more I thought, wow, you know, that makes sense because, you know, you, re you tend to reproduce inequality through standardized testing because um, you can't just put one single like bar for students to meet you know in let's say in Texas you can't you can't do that because I am first of all students learn differently um second of all you have to take into consideration the different regions and the different demographics in those regions um and also um the different um learning needs of those students um it's 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 difficult <laughs> to teach to a, a standardized exam because 
you know, you have all these different factors going on and the teacher kind of needs to keep that in mind and also, you know, meet the needs of students. But, you know, it's reproducing inequality in the sense that um, not all students are getting the same kind of instruction as a classroom that is getting, let's say, top tier um, instruction from a teacher that um, has has a class that that has all her students meeting meeting the the standard right whereas like a teacher um that has a classroom that has a bunch of students that need different different things and um let's say language language barrier is a big you know a component to to not to them the students not being able to meet the standardized um goal um you know that that's that's one of the ways that that standardized testing to me reproduces inequality you know yeah uh, no. yeah you know like it hits to my home a lot when i when you mentioned that because you know like in my home the international student the student who study in international school always have the good facilities compared to the public student public school at public school you know like if the students learn in the international school, it means that their family is in the upper class. So in the future, they will have a good future and a good uh, job like a CEO level. Yeah. But in the public school, students usually not uh, come up with that, um, that thought because they always they their family from the working class or the middle class. So they just uh like teachers just put them put the future on them, I mean the future career on them like you can become you cannot become a CEO in the future because your family is not the upper class. Wow, they actually class. do you think they actually tell them that? Yeah. This, that's that's crazy. That's that's just horrible. I yes. it's horrible. So that's why I, I said that it is inequality. Yeah, that, and that actually also speaks to one of Bordeaux's um, concepts, um, culture capital, right? It, it feeds into that idea that um, culture capital um, for, for a student, it, it, it can mean um, like the capital a student has in terms of um, their culture, uh, their the the access the access to education that they have, and um, what what else was it? <laughs> the economic as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that definitely goes into it. Um, wow, that's crazy. Uh, it also it also feeds into their their funds of knowledge if you think about it, right? Because yeah. um, you know it they um so sorry sorry um but their funds of knowledge basically feeds into their culture capital um in other words like their culture capital basically tells um whoever's looking at this student let's say um an employer is looking at this the this this higher e um and looking at their culture capital um where they come from what their education was like um all of all of that is coming from their funds of knowledge um, their educational upbringing, what schools did they go to, what part of town did they, what part of 
tell them was the school located and what is that, how is that related to um, socioeconomic status and stuff. Um, yeah, it, it's crazy how all these definitions just kind of like feed into one another, you know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, so with that said, uh, we're going to take a small break and we will con- we'll be back after this break. <laughs> okay. Welcome back to this week's uh, transformative talk. I'm Lillian Lewis. And my name is Anfa. Your hosts. Um, so we're back talking about Bordeaux. Uh, for this part, we wanted to include his theory to practices and some discussion about our class's take on Bordeaux. So on, I know um, you really focused in on uh, his reading about his theories uh, to practices and stuff. Did you, did you want to say something about that? Yes, yeah, so the okay, so his theory can apply in um, many practices in educational scholarship. For the for example, the first one that is about the concept of cultural capitals is the main body of educational scholarship influenced by Bodo's work. So it is applied to analyze school based interactions which have negative consequences for children of non-dominant backgrounds, which leading to low levels of school performance and achievement and high levels of alienation. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the second one that history can um, apply in school that is the school family relationship. Uh, Annette Laurel, in 1989 has conducted intimate study of families from different social classes and has examined communications and negotiations with most school personnel and as well with the theory about the habitus and the deep embodiment of social codes and norms also influenced his work on sport gender and physical education as well. And the last one that is his concept of field and habitus affect the relationship between young students, identity formation and aspirations and the matter of their education and career decisions in the future. So then how would would you define habitus um, in terms of, of his theories? Okay. The habitus in terms of history mean to me that like we understand deeply the habitate the ways of thinking and acting that the like the schemes of perception that guide people's conduct. Oh, I get it. So so it's kind of like um like when you like habits like like social norms like um like you have habits to to do some like certain social norms like um let's say hmm maybe when um i don't know but like maybe, maybe like when we're in the store or something um a habitus that that people tend to have um so so um Sorry, I keep blanking. I can't, I can't think, but okay. Um, 
say for example, um, when you go to the store, like maybe a habituated trait that, that people show is, um, getting the cart and then going, going to shop for your groceries. Um, is that how you would, how you would explain like what a habituated trait would be, would look like? The habituated sort of like, um, that people think that, always think that even though they just buy one or two things, they also get the cart. Yeah. Because they think that they have to get the cart. Yeah, that's true actually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Cool. Oh, okay. I understand, it. I understand it a little bit better now. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. Um, let's see. Um, I also wanted to talk about um, his history um, and his background. Um, one of one of the really big things that stood out to me because I'm, I'm a history person. I I study um, history. I my degree my undergrad degree is in social studies oh, education. Wow. <laughs> Um, so one of the biggest things that we studied um, in my coursework was um, how important it is to look at all sides of the story um, to better understand um, the event or whatever we were studying, right? Um, for Bordeaux, he was no different for me. He's a philosopher. Um, uh, and I, I really thought it was uh, worthwhile to kind of uh, really dissect, really dissect the reading, um, in the way that, that I, that I would look at a historical event. So, um, what I picked up on was that, um, a lot of what he lived through, um, as, as a philosopher, uh, education philosopher, um, really parallels a lot of, like, his, a lot of the theories that he came up with. Um, for example, you uh, when I mentioned earlier that he did that study on the Algerian peasants, um, and how um, he studied their consciousness and social structure that resulted from the the French modernization reforms. Um, it kind of parallels like his study of um, how students. Uh, are um, exhibit like habituated ways in, in the classroom, you know, uh, it, it, it really mirrors like his theories in that, in that sense. And also um, one of the biggest things that really stood out to me was um, when Levinson mentioned that he um, climbed up the French intellectual ladder. And I thought that was really interesting because um, in the reading, in the, in the Levinson reading, he mentions that, um, hold on, let me pull it up because it's worth noting. <laughs> um, he mentions the, he mentions structuralism and volunteerism. Um, so structuralism is defined as human behavior and culture that are bound to express the underlying structure. And volunteerism is defined as free to share his or her life trajectory, even under difficult circumstances. So structuralism and volunteerism really um, tie into um, practice, um, which was also defined as a way of accounting for how structure and agency come together in the ever-emergent and ongoing flow of social life. So basically what I got out of that was that um, when students are, let's say, like, 
he, he gave the example of a student in like a low low social class working class family how they how he, um, that student would probably um, go on to to work or to have a job in a working class sector right um, no matter how much he studied or, or whatnot um, he would he would his life trajectory would um, fall or would would lead into him falling under like the same the same trajectory as his parents like a cyclical kind of thing so um i i just i i really liked um when levinson said, said levinson said that um bordeaux's uh he 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 climbed up the french intellectual ladder and uh, that that really connected well with the volunteerism definition where he kind of broke the status quo and um went up the that ladder and um, made a name for himself, basically. Um, I thought that was really worth noting. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Because like our old story, his story, oh, I mean his old story can connect to his theory as well. It's strongly connected. Yeah, and you know, I think I think just in general, just like generally speaking, I think a lot of like, our histories, our, our own personal histories, um, really reflect in, into um, our career paths or our own our own philosophies on life. Um, I know that for me personally, um, when I went to college, it was like I went to a whole different world. Um, I mean, I I talk a lot about like my experience in college because I'm a first generation student, Latina. <laughs> um, so it was really big for me, and I, I was going from a border town in Texas, South Texas, to this big liberal city in Boston. And there was a lot of ideas that I was exposed to. And um, just all of a sudden, I had all these different words to put to my experiences. And I think that when you go through so many different experiences, it really does influence the way you think. And I think that's, that's how Bordeaux's life was really um, portrayed you know through in his theories yeah i agree with you so so i wondering that how we would apply his theories into our classroom yeah yeah let's let's look into our classroom and see what's what's going on in our classroom um on tuesday we had our meeting over zoom that was fun um yeah, yeah with all this coronavirus stuff going on it's 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 really interesting how education just kind of shifted um, overnight. Um, but it was really cool having, having our meeting over Zoom and um, Dr. Haddad had a really good activity for us to do to understand um, the funds of knowledge. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, as well as that, the fund of, funds of knowledge is also have mentioned in the Hmong articles. Oh yeah, the Mole article? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, she used it using um qualitative approach to connect homes and classroom. Yeah, she figured out she explored about the household some funds of knowledge in household about like agriculture, mining, business, household management, religion, medicine, repair, construction, which that uh, their students. Uh, student with students as well as um, their family that make them feel familiar with and they 
and he mentioned that teachers should use the funds of knowledge of students have in their household to as a catalyst for them to the institutional lessons. So I think it's really helpful for us to learn from her articles because you know if the student feel familiar with school and the lesson they learn that is familiar with their daily life it would be better for them to have a better knowledge as well as the, the skills as well yeah yeah no definitely um do you have any experiences um with the funds of knowledge in 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 your educational experience yeah of course i remember that when i'm when i study about the lesson about um let me see about the lesson about the history yeah lessons in my hometown my teachers teachers had uh, create our a field trip to the museum and around our community which helped us to understand not only about the history of the world in vietnam but also help us to understand more about the history of our community yeah where the specific uh, area in com community that's really neat yeah i love i love when teachers do that when they connect like our experiences to to the curriculum that's really neat yeah um, i agree yeah i i going back to like our classroom um discussion um i really like dr haddad's activity where we all had to go into the map i think it was on padlet i can't i can't remember what um platform it was sorry dr haddad <laughs> but it was really cool um i i'd want to use it in my social studies class but basically what we did was each of us went into this map and we pinpointed a location and Basically, um, when we pinpointed this location, we created a Google Slides presentation on the funds of knowledge in our community. And um, it was really cool because um, even though there were instructions on, on the uh, Google Slides presentation that Dr. Haddad had, um, I think each of us uh, did it differently, right? Um, and it, it was really neat because um, there were no there were no kind of like repercussions for like oh but you're missing this or you're missing that or you didn't speak too well on this it was more of just like an activity of um talking about like everybody's different funds of knowledge and how um how they how they um show in their community and i thought that was really cool because it really validated um each of us you know in our own unique way yes yeah. i agree with you because I, t I also, I'm a new here in the community. That was a chance for me to, to like, is that my, what I know in my new community? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, me too. I, I'm, I'm new to San Antonio. I've, I've always like visited here when I was younger and stuff, but um, it's my first time living here. Um, but I decided to do, uh, to drop my pin in Laredo <laughs> where I'm from. Uh, oh. So yeah. Uh, Let's dive into to some of our classmates' uh, journal and see how um, they connect. They connected between um, the cultural capital and funds of knowledge. Yeah. Um, so, so you know why Emily Peterson said that once access to the cultural capital is determined by their funds of knowledge. 
the type of cultural capital resources available to a student who lives on the south side of San Antonio will be vastly different from the cultural capital that a student from Bourne would Bernie, have. Yeah, Bernie. Yeah, Bernie Texas has weird, has weird names for towns and then they're like, anyways. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree with you, Emily. Um, I actually work on the south side of San Antonio. Um, and my commute to work every day is very different because um, not only is the place I work very different from where I live, but as I commute to work, I can see the city changing um, in the sense that um, I, I, li I live by, um, by UTSA, uh, the medical area and stuff. So there's a lot of access to um, hospitals, clinics. Um, there's a lot of HEBs in the area, Walmarts. Um, you know, there's a lot of access for, for different commercial, um, uh, co different commercial needs. Um, but, um, as, when you, when you get to like to the South side of San Antonio, um, a lot of these, a lot of these, um, commercial locations are, are kind of, I wouldn't say scarce in the sense that, um, there's like a food desert or something, but, um, there's, it's definitely very limited in the South side of San Antonio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Nicole Elizabeth said that cultural capital is the knowledge, skills, status, etc., that individuals acquire by being part of a certain group, such in a specific field, which can lead to inequalities. Funds of knowledge is that knowledge, skills, status, etc., regardless of what it looks like, is valuable and can be used to move away from those inequalities. Yes, I agree with Nicole because you know, like cultural capitals is like seem like a source of social inequality. Yeah, but with the funds of knowledge, if teacher focus on funds of knowledge of students, uh, we can bring them an uh, equality environment in classroom. It means that we teach like a student center. We focus their, their old community, their old culture, their old status, their own knowledge, their own skills they have, and, to, and help, them to help them develop their, their, their learning at school as well as the skills they have. I really like the, the, what Dr. Haidat said in the classroom that the more power, the more, the more power, the more money, we'll have the more, the, the good, the more good education. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. But with the teacher, with the role of teacher, we need to see our student in the same one. I mean, like, we need to see them, give them the same, uh, give them the same, um, let me see, sorry, give them uh, an equal learning, I mean, and yeah, to yeah. Increase, yeah, to have them develop their own talents as well as their own needs in life. Right. Yeah. No. Definitely. I. I definitely agree with you. Um. You mentioned teachers in classroom. Um. I'm curious. So now that we are experts on funds of knowledge and culture capital and Bordeaux, <laughs> um. What kinds of, what kinds of, or sorry. What would you do if um, you had students with various culture capitals in our class in your classroom, 
um, how would you create um, your lessons based on these different culture capitals? Or, and how would you use and how would you use their funds of knowledge to um, to create to create those those lessons as well? Oh, that's a good question for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that as the teachers in the future, I I will focus on the student center. I I will talk with them to figure out their culture, their own um, their own lifestyle as well, and I mean their own knowledge they have in their culture, as a respect of me to give to them, and with the cultural capital, I think that that is because my student is elementary students. I used to have the student at said to me like, you know like you know like you know who built this school? I said my mom told <laughs> <laughs> me that, oh my god, he's oh. like trying to scare me. And I said to him, Okay, that's a good that's a good thing you say to me, but you know, um, you know your mom did a great job, great, great environment for you and all the students, I mean all the your friends are uh, studying with. So um i i that is a signal of about the cultural capital as well about the social class mm -hmm. and but luckily that he's so nice he's so nice with every student because in his because we all have the moral lessons in every uh subject yes yeah yeah so that's it i think that's it all that is a way that we put, uh, that we like, that we encourage them uh, to have a good behavior with um, other people, even though where they are, how rich they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely, I agree. Yeah, I think, I think for me, um, I think there's definitely a lot of um, instructional materials out there to be able to accommodate um, different funds of knowledge. I know that in Texas, um, it's a little bit hard or yeah, it's a little bit difficult for teachers to kind of um, have that student-centered learning going on while also implementing or, or making sure that they're, that they're um, meeting the standard, the standardized testing goals and whatnot um i know that's kind of hard but um i think it's i think it's possible especially being um especially if like you're you, you're really invested in your students i think there's nothing that you wouldn't do to to be able to meet them there you know um it's as simple as hi how are you how's your day going you know um and really yeah. just validating those kinds of those relationships with your students i have uh, i have pre-kinder students and they are the joy of my life i miss them so much but i'm grateful for technology because i get to see them still in pictures and videos and stuff but um the way that i kind of validate their funds of knowledge is when they're playing um with at, at their centers <laughs> um so they're, they're still developing their language and stuff. But I, I remember this one student, his name is Ian. And Ian loves dinosaurs. <laughs> um, I didn't know <laughs> what one of the dinosaurs was called, but he goes, Miss Lewis, it's a ceratops. And, <laughs> and I, 
I went along with it. I said, yes, Ian, it's a ceratops, even though, even though it's actually pronounced triceratops. But, you know, just validating that, that little piece of information. And I told him, like, wow, I didn't know that, Ian. I, I didn't know it was called a ceratops. Like, just validating that, that one little piece of information for them, that, that just means so much to them. And you would be amazed to see how, how your students grow after you just validate those those funds of knowledge, you know, it, it, they're called funds of knowledge for a reason because funds have value, right? Yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree with you with that. If we f- friendly with students, we would take a lot of funds of knowledge from them. Like you said, it's just a normal daily con- conservation. Uh, conservation. Yeah, sorry. Is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I use it. Yes, yeah. But we can get a lot of knowledge from them, and we can consider that in our lesson as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I think a lot of students give us different learning, or yeah, different learning points to include in our lessons. And why wouldn't you? You know, why do you have to go out and reinvent the wheel? Why do you have to go out and look for um different points to add to your lesson when you can use your students? Like I said, ones of knowledge. They're there for a reason. You know. Yes, you know, like in my old country, in one class, we have up to 40 students. <gasps> it's a lot. What? So, and so what level is this, by yeah, the way? We need to figure out another way to know about the funds of knowledge students by uh, using a, like a log box or some kind of information box that they can write anything they want to share with teacher mm-hmm. and they put it put that in that box and the teachers will take it out and read that that is a way and save time for teachers to understand their life their daily life their feeling their thinking about the day so yeah. i yeah so i figured it out like uh, we can group the funds of knowledge of students in in group because you know like they maybe some students have to have the fun of knowledge in common we can group them in one yeah. group in, yeah in, and in and, group. and yeah. even even mixing up those groups so that students can get um different different bits of information and learning points from each other yeah that's a good idea that's yeah. a good part well i think i think we we definitely had a good conversation about bordeaux and funds of knowledge and culture capital and uh, I really appreciated um, you you talking to me about all this stuff and um, yeah I, I just I, I'm really happy with our conversation. <laughs> yeah me too. Thank you for having me for the, about this uh, conversation. Okay. It's really helpful for me a lot. Sorry what was that? It's really helpful for me a lot and oh, I get a lot of information from you as well. Me too. Yeah, no, it's it's always helpful to have to bounce bounce our information off one another. Bonds of knowledge, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so to learn more about this topic, um, you, uh, I, I, I think it's really helpful to kind of, uh, well, one thing that actually like really helped me was um, YouTubing. Just I, I just um, put Bordeaux's name in YouTube, and all these different kinds of small videos came out about um, his different concepts. And they're short videos, um, so that that's one really good way to learn more about this topic. Um, on, do you have any other suggestions? Yeah, I think we can go to the Google Scholar to read some articles as well as the book 
have a uh, take on the about the model model uh, theory so we yeah. can yeah. yeah and of course levinson chapter four yeah <laughs> all right well that's all for our episode thanks for listening and remember if you want to support what we do then share subscribe and leave a review wherever you discover our show that's all for now but i'll see you in the next episode of transformative talk bye bye